Hallelujah. So we're going to, I'm going to just give a couple of things here this morning. Uh, next week, I, d- I do want to say that uh, is Rosh Hashanah, which is the, we call it the Jewish New Year. But how many of you know those feasts were not Jewish? They're God's. They were God's feast. And because of that, uh, we do that. And so we're going to have a, a, a service next, next week. We'll have apples and honey and uh, pomegranate juice and uh, also the challah bread that they celebrate. And so anyway, we encourage you to join with us next week. Real quickly today, I'm going to go through this because we have some testimonies that are going along with what we want to share today. And uh, we're going to give the uh, dates today. They need to now. Hey, can we pull up water baptism? And why other people? There are ways that uh, baptism, uh, so many people have reason to get water baptized. Uh, first of all, under exactly the priority and the power what baptism does. Were baptized before. I listen to this and in that regard. Don't get water. Headed to it. They had been little. That they feel no need. Another reason is people sometimes become too prideful. You know, oftentimes people have been serving the Lord for a long time, and now for them to step into the waters of baptism, it looks like, well, what did you do all those years? You know, it was just the fact that they did not do that. And so out of humility, some people say, you know what? I've served the Lord all my life, but I've never been water baptized. Would you please do that? And certainly we would never want to forbid that. And we know that if we humble ourselves, the Lord said in due season, he would lift us up. How many of you know that's the way to ascend is by going down and, and lowering ourselves? Amen. And another reason is some people just haven't really been saved. They never got saved. They don't feel there's any need to get water baptized. And so we're going we're gonna to look at a couple of these things today as we prepare for it. But two common mistakes. I'll tell that later. So, so why do we get water baptized? Uh, Here's, I want to show you a picture, something that took place uh, 50 years ago to your left and uh, just not too long ago to your right. Uh, those of you who saw Jesus Revolution, how many of you remember that? Jesus Revolution and, and uh, uh, Chuck Smith at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. They had a revival that moved in there, a bunch of Jesus people that came in. And they all wanted to be baptized. And to the left at the bottom there, you can see them being baptized at Pirate's Cove uh, in California. And then to the right, 50 years later, another move that took place there. Following the Jesus Revolution movie, uh, there were over, four, I think it was 4,168 people that got baptized in one day. That's pretty profound. Amen. My arms would get tired. I remember one time we did about 50-something at the park, and I was wore out by the time it was all over with. But here's what baptism really is. It's a public display and a declaration of a private and a personal decision. It's showing openly what you've experienced inwardly. It's an outward expression of an inward experience. And let me tell you something. If you haven't had the inward experience... The outward expression doesn't mean anything. Amen? And so it's a way of displaying before other people what has taken place and making a statement of what God's done into your life. It's, it's repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. That's what it is. It's confessing. It's a way of, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. And so baptism becomes a, play, a, a way of 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 showing our repentance towards sin and our faith in Jesus, our belief in him. 
It's a conversion. It's a turning around. It's a change. It's a new belief. It represents that. Uh, there's two common mistakes uh, that people make. Uh, the thing is, baptism does not save you, but it does seal you. Follow what I'm saying? I said it doesn't save you, but it is a seal of salvation. Two common mistakes that people make, and they say, well, if it's not necessary, if it's not all them, that important, why should I do it? You know, what's there about? If it doesn't save me, why would I get baptized? The other extreme is that some people say, if you haven't been baptized, then you're really not saved. And that's a, an error as well. We know that the thief on the cross had no opportunity to get into the water. But he had no opportunity. And I'm sure in my heart that if there was a way of him getting down from that cross and being baptized, he would have chosen that because he knew where he was headed. And that's when he said, uh, he said, uh, if you please uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom and have mercy upon me. And the Lord said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. And so it's, it's having the opportunity and taking the opportunity. Now I have to say, there are people that I have baptized before uh, in a different fashion. I'll talk to you about that. But we did what we did with the opportunity and the method that we had available to us. So in looking toward uh, baptism, we can look at Jesus as our example or, or our model. Uh, Jesus was baptized. At his birth, he was brought eight days old into the, the synagogue, into the temple, rather, and the, uh, he brought in the, they brought him there to be presented unto the Lord, much like what we did today as a dedication of presenting uh, children to the Lord. Uh, but then he chose to be baptized as an adult at 30 years of age. Now, Jesus, who had no sin, nothing to repent of, no reason to do it, but yet he said, I need to do it because I have to fulfill all righteousness. So we see that he is a model of what baptism is about. Scripture says, but Jesus answered and said to John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. And he says, no, permit it to be done because this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. And so we see that Jesus submitted to that. And that's a model of which we had. To fulfill all righteousness, it was 30 years of age that the priests were entered into the priesthood. And Jesus was the great high priest. And so he filled, fulfilled everything that needed to be done as far as baptism was concerned. Next, we see the method. Uh, we believe in immersion, conversion, immersion, based on your profession. Uh, the word baptism comes from the word baptizo, which means to immerse or to dip or to sink or overwhelm. And uh, the, the mikvah in the Hebrew was a gathering of water. It was a pool. Uh, and it also means, the mikvah means waiting and hoping. So in baptism, we're showing that we're waiting and we are hoping for the great hope of Jesus Christ. Two opportunities I had, uh, one was uh, Mr. Wickham, who was Linda Patterson's uh, grandfather, was getting ready to go to the hospital, and I led him to the Lord. He wanted me to pray with him before he went, went to his home. They were waiting to take him to the hospital to be admitted, and after uh, accepting Jesus as, your, as, as his Savior, he said, I'd like to be baptized. And I said, uh, well, we don't have a means of doing it. He couldn't get up there. We have to carry him over there. So we got water, put it in a bucket, put towels around him, and I poured it over him because that's the only way we could do it. 
uh, Barbara Wyatt was at Gateway Regional Hospital and uh, she wanted to be baptized, no way of getting her into the water, but we brought the water to her. Fred drove to Carlinville, got lake water, and we baptized her there in the hospital bed with attendants standing all around going, wow, this is awesome, you know. So I believe the baptism, uh, I believe in immersion when you're able to do it. If you're not, then, you know, you do what you have to do. Uh, we, we know that uh, uh, Philip, uh, when the Lord told him to talk to the eunuch who was on, there, uh, on his way reading the book of Isaiah, he says, I don't even know what this says. And Philip explains it to him. And the eunuch says, well, could I get baptized? And it's a place they're driving through the desert, and all of a sudden there's water. He said, there's some water. Can I get baptized? And he chose to do, though, do that. And the Bible says he came up out of the water. We see that Jesus came up immediately out of the water. So he had to have been immersed in order to do that. Next is the meaning of it. Uh, it's a great example that we see in the book of Romans that shows that uh, Paul says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized in Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism, that as Christ was raised from the dead, that even so we are raised up and we walk in the newness of life. It's an illustration of what took, takes place. Baptizing is you're dead in your sins and you come buried, you're raised up in the newness of life. That is the meaning. Basically, today we're, we're going to have several funerals. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Saying, I'm dead to myself. Amen. This is the only funeral of yourself that you'll be able to attend. Anyway. All right. And lastly, it's a mandate. Uh, Jesus said that when he was leaving, he says, Go. Uh, into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples, baptizing them uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which we saw upon Jesus' baptism, the Bible says that Jesus, the Son, came up out of the water, a voice from heaven, the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit descended upon him as a dove. And so therefore we see that the uh, uh, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are active in baptism. It's the first thing that Jesus did when he went into ministry and one of the last things he spoke to his disciples before he left. So it's very important. Amen? And there's power. There's a priority to that. And so anyway, I've done what I'm going to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask if uh, uh, Chris and uh, Kirsten are, are ready. I'm going to call them. Actually, uh, Chris is going to uh, give a testimony beforehand, right? Yeah. You got to change, did you say? or You don't have to? Okay. Come on up. This young man has a great story upon his life. And uh, I think that you will be blessed in hearing it. He's going to share what has brought him to this. I love when you can do that. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Chris, tell him what, what this means to you. Should be on. Blue mic. Is the red light showing? Hello? Okay. Oh, there we go. Thanks. Man, these lights are bright up here. Uh, yeah. Um, 
so I was always raised into church because I think I went every Sunday with my grandparents um, that I can remember. Um, and then when we get home, I'd make her turn on VHSs of Samson and Delilah and um, all kinds of stuff. Um, but then I went to youth group and some stuff happened and I seen some bad stuff inside of the church and I just decided I didn't want to go um, anymore. And so I had stopped going for a long time. Um, I'm going to have to get down off here. Sorry. Um, and me and Kirsten wanted the boys to be raised in church um, just to have morals and to have God in their life. Because, um, I mean, we see now with society what happens when you take God out of children's lives. And so we definitely don't want that happening to them. Um, so we started sending them, and I actually wouldn't go. Kirsten would take them, and I would just go to the gym or do stuff around the house. Um, well, at that church, they were having a revival, and Kirsten had went a couple times, and then one, I think it was a Friday night, she was um, saying she wanted to go back, and I just told her I didn't want her going back to that revival again. Um, and then went through the weekend, and then on that Monday, it was really bothering me that I told my wife she couldn't go to church because who am I to tell somebody they can't go to church? I just felt like I was being a horrible person and not a very good husband. And it was really bothering me. And so I st started listening to a bunch of sermons and stuff on my phone, which is kind of crazy now that I think about because I was not listening to anything. And so when I was having problems, I unknowingly turned to the Word of God for help. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to try not to cry. So... It was really bothering me all day long. And I probably listened to like five hours of stuff. Well, I had to pick up some stuff to take home with me. So we, I went to Target. And I walked into Target. And I wasn't paying much attention because the stuff's still on my head. I'm still thinking about it. And this girl is riding on a cart with a kid in the basket. I don't know how old she is probably late teens, early 20s or something. I'm, not, I'm really not paying attention to her. I, I couldn't even tell you what she looked like. Um, but she's like riding on it and then scooting on it and then hopping off and doing that, coming right at me. And as soon as she gets right next to me, she comes to a complete stop and looks directly in my face and says, Jesus loves you. And then just goes out the door, I guess. Because I kept walking and I was like, surely this girl's just running around this whole store telling Jesus loves them or something. Like, she's just being goofy. So I actually was like, you know what? I'm just going to go ask her why she said that. But I couldn't find her. So the only way for her not to be there is if she would have just went pretty much straight out the front door and just left. Well, then that happened. And um, 
I continued to listen to some of them podcasts and stuff. And then that, I think it was the week after that happened, um, I was listening to one, and it was talking about how Satan's the biggest thief there is. He tries to steal God's glory. And um, I put in car windows. And sometimes these windows are smashed, and I had to vacuum it up. Well, I always tell the customers, like, I'm going to vacuum up all your change or anything. If there's anything you need, get it out, because I'm going to vacuum it so you don't have any glass and no one gets hurt. But the thing is, I'd vacuum up their change, but I'd just dig it out of my vacuum and throw it in a canister or, you know, do whatever. Um, which I can reason it away and say and say I wasn't stealing, but in that moment, I was so convicted that I was a thief and I didn't want to be anything like Satan at all that I got down and prayed. in the customer's park, um, driveway. But then I had another problem. I have this big jug full of everybody else's money right next to me in my, in my car. And it's like a kid with money. Like it's burning a hole in my heart. Like I want it out of there. Um, and so I'm like praying like, I don't know what you want me to do. If I need to sprinkle this into everybody's cup holder for the rest of this month or something to get rid of it, that's what I'll do. I just don't want it next to me. Well, I continued to work and kind of forgot about it because of other stuff. Um, but then when I was on my way home, the stoplight at that same target where that girl told me Jesus loves me, see, it's nothing to even cry about. But anyway, there was a lady with a baby saying, um, she, I'm not laughing at that, um, saying she lost her job and she needs money, so I just gave her the whole jug. But there was never anybody ever at the stoplight. So we continued to go to church, and um, the church we went to would get kind of crazy sometimes. You know, people would always get up and talk besides the preacher. I mean, I, did, I didn't grow up in a church like that, but They'd always get up and be speaking in tongues and everything. And um, <laughs> one um, Sunday, Kirsten and Gina would always check on me because this was way out of my comfort zone. And they were like, you, are you okay? If you need to go to the coffee area and get coffee, go ahead. Like, if you're uncomfortable, we understand. And I told Kirsten, no, I'm not uncomfortable. I just came here to hear the sermon and I'm... I want to get on with this show. Like, I want this nonsense to stop. And probably, what, Kirsten, 10 minutes later? Maybe not 10 minutes. But anyway, that service, I'm up in front of everybody talking and crying. I, the Holy Spirit kept telling me to get up, and I was fighting it the whole time. It was like pushing me to get up there. And I just kept saying, we've already had like five people get up and talk. You don't need me to say anything or, you know, just fought it to the very end. And 
he was getting ready to pray, and I just, it was pushing me so hard that I just had to get up there because I knew if I didn't do it before the service was over, I wouldn't feel right. Um, and then the next week coming to church, I kind of jokingly said to Kirsten, like, man, I hope I don't have to talk today, you know? Well, I didn't have to. Um, but Monday, I go to this guy's house to do a windshield for him. And um, I get there. He's a nice guy. And he's just like, hey, if you need any help, I would be happy to help you. Not a problem. It's just I have cancer and I can't lift anything. Um, so I'll do whatever I can to help you, but I just can't do much. And I was just like, no. It's no big deal. You paid for the service. I don't need your help. I got this all under control. I'll take care of it. Um, and then I went on with the job. Well, as I was getting my stuff to collect payment, I'm being told, like, you need to pray for this guy. And I kind of want to explain the feeling, too, just... Because if anybody else gets these kind of feelings, like, you, when you say, I was being told, like, you think of, like, a booming voice saying, pray for this guy. Nothing like that at all. It was like, I'm totally thinking, like, in my head about, oh, I need to tell this dude it's $100. How do you want to pay? And in that moment of me thinking about something else, it's like a thought implant was just like, pray for this guy. While I'm not even thinking about that stuff, like I'm trying to get the stuff I need to get done, done. And so that's how it worked. And so I'm like, okay, I'll pray for this guy in my van after I take his payment. So I take the payment, go to my van, and I pray for him. The minute I'm done praying for this guy, it's like, no, you need to pray with him. And I'm like, I don't know about that. Because I've never prayed for anybody. I don't know what to say. I'm like, I'm going to go up to this guy. He's going to think I'm weird. Or neighbor's going to look out of their window and they're going to be like, oh, great. Two tattooed dudes touching each other in the garage. But I got out. I go up, it was really awkward actually, because I was just kind of like thinking all this stuff the whole time I'm walking up to him. And he's like, did you forget something? And I'm like, um, do you go to church? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, because I need to pray for you. And then I prayed for him. And th then I was kind of, bothered because it was almost like I was embarrassed or something. That's the kind of feeling I was. And then I was starting to struggle with, why am I so embarrassed to do something that good for somebody? Well, about that time, the study I was listening to on my phone was talking about the story of Moses leading the people out of Egypt. And it was kind of looking at it as through the scope of like 
empire and kingdom, empire being society, kingdom being the kingdom of God, and how they were like, it's always a battle between the two. Um, and it was just talking about all the stuff they were pretty much shown and everything God did for them, but they kept turning back to worshiping these false gods, these Egyptian gods, and so bad that he was rescuing them out of slavery, and they're trying to go back to it. That's how much, how ingrained it was in them. And I just realized that in that moment that I was letting society be so ingrained into me that I was embarrassed to pray for somebody. Think about it, how ridiculous that sounds. And then now, since that stuff has happened, I can look back on things in my life and I can really see God's fingerprints on all kinds of things, just like with the boys. So they were born at 26 weeks. And I'm going to say the reason we went there was kind of minor. I mean, Kirsten's a nurse. She's, she's said it wasn't that minor. But to me, it was minor. And when we got there, um, they do all these tests and stuff. And they're like, you're not in labor. There's nothing wrong. Like, they're about to send us home. Well, they keep her there just because she hasn't done her glucose test. And they're like, well, we'll just observe you and you can get your glucose test done and you won't have to go in for another day for that test. So that's one fingerprint. Because, oh, what time was it? Not even five hours later, she was in full-blown labor. And if we would have been at our house, them kids would not have survived. They would have died. Um, and then a couple more that I look back on and see. So we only had so much time off of work, especially me being a dude, I get like nothing. Um, and so we're kind of like trying to split all our time, like, cause they were in the hospital for three months. So we're trying to split the time, like, well, we'll save this for when they get home and we'll do this much now and then we'll just have to go back to work. Um, and about that time, I was going to have to start going back to work and I didn't really want to because they were so early that their brain wasn't developed enough and so they would stop breathing and you would have to shake them or rub their chest. And some of them nurses just weren't doing it fast enough for our liking, to be honest with you. Um, and so I didn't really want to go back to work because I'm like, I can't go back to work with them doing this five times an hour. Like I can't go back to work and be thinking about that. Um, and then one of Kirsten's friends that she works with, Brittany, um, called and wanted to come up and see the boys in the NICU. And if you know, knew us at that moment, we, weren't let, we were lucky Gina got to come up there because we weren't, we weren't letting anybody come up there. But for some reason, we let um, Brittany come up there and see him, 
and she brought a card with pretty much enough money for me to be off work for a whole another week unpaid. And you know, I'm crying about this now. I didn't even think about that until last week when Tess was up here talking about that bill getting wiped clean. And I didn't even think about it until that moment. Because another thing that happened was just the first day of these kids, one kid apiece being in transferred to the NICU and being in the NICU, one of the bills by itself was one and a half million dollars. I don't know what our total was for that, but it was a lot. And so the whole stay, I couldn't even tell you how much it was. But we've only got one bill for $2,000. That's really all I have to say. Them are just some of the things I have seen now. And we didn't get up last week and say thanks to everybody. But we want to thank all you guys that were here and prayed for them when they were in the hospital. So we thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Kirsten, you want to come up and, and uh, join Chris up here? Garner, if you want to come up and get ready. Uh, Garner's going to share his experience, too. Oh, okay. Then I'll just take my shoes and sock back. Yeah, you got time. Uh, Amen. Praise God. That was good, wasn't it? It's good hearing what... So today, as I said, this is an outward expression of something that was done inside. You would never have known that, of what was inside. But, but to making it public and declaring that. And so anyway, we're just honored to be able to do that. And I want to ask... Uh, this morning I found out that uh, why don't everyone that's going to be baptized come up here and and sit Dennis if you want to join as well Dennis came in this morning he says I want to be baptized I said did you bring a change of clothes he says I'm wearing his swimming trunks he's good (laughs) I like this I like the spontaneity of stuff like that I think the last time uh, last year about this time we uh, were going to do water baptisms and we had ended up with a bunch of them and Leonard uh, came in and he said I'd like to be baptized too so I think the next week or something like that we were able to do Leonard as well and uh, man God's good amen Amen. praise the Lord hallelujah glory to God come on up here and uh, should we always you know we should probably do ladies before gentlemen no No? (laughs) oh well that's okay because I'm going to have him help with you I think it would be appropriate for uh no, I, he can come up and, and yeah, we're good. So I, I think it'd be great if, uh, if uh, Chris, did it cool down a little bit? It's an ice bath. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to do it? 
<laughs> he said earlier, and he says, it's nice and warm. And no, I said, it is, it is nice yeah, how about move over here, and I'm going to take you backwards. Put your feet out there. And, uh, okay, turn on the jacuzzi part right now. Right? It does feel good. It does? I should have just talked in here. There you go. <laughs> we had a wired mic. That wouldn't be good. But anyway. I, I could have been, just been like, oh, that's water. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Nothing special about the water. Nothing special about the container. Everything that's special is what God's done. That's what it boils down to. And uh, I've baptized people in the River of Jordan on a couple of trips to Israel. But it doesn't matter where or when or anything like that. It's what goes on inside your heart. And Chris, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's a privilege today to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on. Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to stay up here. And sit. Stay in here? Stay, no, oh, you can't. <laughs> Come on in. I, I think stand over here and, and you, you join in today. Amen. Praise the Lord. They wanted to do this as a family thing, and that's important. They wanted to do the children uh, as well as them. And not only is this a personal thing, but I believe this is like Joshua said, as for me and my house. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. Kirsten, we're going to give you 20 minutes to talk. No. Just joking. 10? No. Okay. <laughs> I think this says it all. She says that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. You love him with all your heart, don't you? Amen. Based upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we baptize you today in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Watch your step. Yeah, we don't want to have to have any surgeries. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Garner's coming up, and then we're going to do the rest of them. Garner, I wanted him to share some of his story as well. So anyway, we're, we're happy. Oh, you want me to share first? Yeah, yeah let's do that. Amen. Thank you. I've never got to preach in my swimming trunks before, but <laughs> and it's probably better that way. <laughs> How's everybody doing this morning? I'm going to try to keep it short, um, so about 30, 45 minutes. There you go. Um, so as, uh, as many of you know, I grew up in church, uh, this church, actually, um, before it was in this building, before it was in that building, uh, back when it was meeting in people's houses in the basement, and uh, I don't remember that, but, but he assures me that I was there, uh, and... Uh, <clears throat> Brooks is a little younger uh, than me, but we made fast friends, and uh, families were inseparable. If, do we have that picture? Can we, can we put that picture of me and Brooks up? Yeah, there we are. And uh, 
all these years later, I bought that business. It was on display at Dairy Bar, too, for a while until the sun faded it, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, it's been up there a couple times where we've reprinted the picture, but uh, I, I need to do another round of them. But yeah, that's him and I sitting right by the, uh, the hot fudge stand near, uh, near where some of the goodies are, uh, just enjoying some ice cream the grandma gave us, me and my typical Disney, you know, because I'm a Disney freak, love it, got to have something on. Um, we hung out constantly, uh, and... As uh, Pastor and Teresa's family grew, my, uh, my family was there and, and grew closer. I know mom attended to Teresa uh, quite a bit during the pregnancy with Tess and then uh, was one of the designated babysitters for both Tess and, and Brooks when, uh, when Tori was, was cooking, if you will, uh, was, was being bestowed upon us all. Uh, life was good. Life was great. Um, very, very close. And my parents, uh, they grew up in church and um, they assisted with children's ministry and VBS and, and the musicals. Uh, and, and I was the dutiful son. I memorized my verses and uh, yes, yes, ma'am, no, sir. And I would pay attention and not rebel rouse and, and try to get everyone to, you know, calm down, which could be a task sometimes, uh, especially with this one. But uh, with, but no, we were good kids, you know, and, and, and that was life. We, we, we came to church, we did the things, we went to the outings. I often joke that on average, I probably spent three to four days a week in church throughout most of my youth, my, my, my childhood and, and, and my youth. I mean, between Royal Rangers and, and uh, Sunday school and then Sunday service and then cell groups and preparation for musicals and then, Dan, 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 Dan. We were here a lot um, and I grew to love everyone as my extended family. I felt like the luckiest little boy because not only did I have this amazing family and my grandma and, and great aunt uh, are here to share this with me today, but I had this whole other adopted family that was always there and, and encouraging and, and everyone was so nice and, and so loving. I will admit to you, when I was young, I was quite afraid of, of one person in particular, Miss Teresa. Uh, she, she, she was quite the disciplinarian, or at least that was my perception of her. And I, and I tell you, all the kids could be doing the kid things, and then you would hear, you'd hear the footsteps, and, and you'd hear the door open, and she'd come around the corner, and silence. But something changed for me with her and how I related to her one time, and I'll never forget it. It was the first time a grown-up showed me real genuine trust. And again, I don't think sometimes we all realize just how big an impact little phrases, little words, little gestures can mean to people. She dropped me and Brooks off at Six Flags, and I couldn't have been older than like, I don't know, 13? 12, 13, and she, she leans in real close. She goes, Garner, I'm trusting you. Don't do anything you shouldn't do. Stay together the whole time. If one of you needs to go to the restroom, you both better head that direction. You've got a budget. Don't spend all the money. Be good. I'll be back at whatever time it was. And yes, ma'am, yes, of course, yes, of course. And I wanted to make her proud because, again, in my mind, it's, like, it's Teresa got to make sure that I mind my P's and Q's and I do it all just perfect. And from that day on, and again, everything went off without a sitch. Brooks and I didn't get in too much trouble. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we, we had a great time. And, uh, and it was awesome. But what 
a lot of people didn't know because there would have been no way to know is what was going on at home. You see, my father, uh, he was living a few different lives. And uh, there was the one that everyone could see, the churchgoer, the, the father, the hard worker, the, the person who was uh, class mobile. I mean, he grew up in a single wide trailer and we had what at least I thought was a mansion <laughs> in Glen Carbon. And I mean, by modern standards, it's nowhere close to a mansion, but for me, <laughs> I mean, my house was, you could have fit 14 of them in, in this sanctuary, my, my, my first house growing up. And, and, uh, and then when we moved into this place in Glen Carbon, I just couldn't believe it. I, I mean, it, like, like it was something out of a fairy tale. And, and it, it was, if you, if you put a list down in the 90s of like, what makes a good person? What makes a good family? What are the outward sort of markers that we can check boxes and say, yep, they did that. Yep, they did that. Yep, they do that. It's like, they were all there. They were all there. But this man, <laughs> he, uh, he was different when you all couldn't see him. He was different behind closed doors. I remember the first time I realized that my father wasn't perfect. I was seven and my mother was bawling because of reasons I didn't understand at the time, but it turned out that he had a mistress. <laughs> And then I was on vacation several years later with Scott Gardner and, and his son, Nathan. We went skiing out in Colorado. And I get a phone call at 2 in the morning in the cabin looking for my dad in Colorado. That was weird. It was a woman, a girlfriend that he had. He was in the National Guard, you see. And he would go out of town once a month for deployment. And, and he would always find a new woman. Uh, depending on where he was stationed and, and what was going on. Uh, a few weeks later, that woman showed up at my house in Glen Carbon. Um, I, luckily, was the one who answered the door, and so I was, I'm going to stutter and cry, I'm sorry. I, I, I told her in as big a 14-year-old-ness I could to go away and never return, that she wasn't wanted here and that he had lied to her and that this was his real family and that she was just another stop along his journey. I'm sorry, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but it's never gonna happen. Please go away now. And I couldn't tell anybody because this man, you see, when, when, when you're dealing with your father, they are everything. They are strength, they are wisdom, they are your anchor. We orient our whole worlds based on anchors and hopefully for most, if not all of you in here, your primary anchor is God because it's such an unshakable, unmovable anchor, but we have to anchor ourselves down. It's what reigns in our perceptions. It's literally what keeps us from going crazy, is having these anchors in our life that when nothing seems to make sense, we can fall back on it. And I just wanna read a couple passages about what I went through. So uh, Matthew 23, uh, 27 and 28, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And I just couldn't understand how a loving, just, good God would allow my father to live like this and to get away with this. And 
the abuse got worse and worse and worse over the years. When I was a kid, it was a spanking, and then it was a bad spanking, and then it was definitely flirting with a beating. And then I remember distinctly one of the last times he got his hands on me, he sent me to high school with bruises from my ankles to my neck, because he had just got done taking the belt to me for about, I don't know, half an hour or so. Because I accidentally broke a candle. And finally, I had the courage to tell my, my grandma and my aunt. and They did what they could. They'd keep us on the weekends. And I became very, 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 very involved in church. I thought maybe if I changed my anchor, and I couldn't think in such sophisticated terms at the time, but maybe if I can understand this better, I'll be able to make sense of, of that, and maybe that'll make it better. And I came across something a long time ago, and, and it was kind of my, my prayer. Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this too he shall reap. It wasn't long after this that a uh, knock on the door on a rainy, muddy day with 12 police officers. They come through the house and they give a warrant to my mother and they take every piece of technology save for the televisions. Every computer, every laptop, if there was a chance that it had data on it, they took it. Now, there's children present, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but suffice it to say, he had done a very, very, very bad thing. And while I do not wish any negative on anyone who was impacted by that, the, the relief of him being exposed, it felt like a million pounds was lifted off my, my shoulders. I could be honest. <laughs> I could be real. I didn't have to lie about the marks anymore. I didn't have to lie about the man anymore because they're all going to know now. They're all going to know. I mean, it's in the papers. It sucked. <laughs> going to school, high schoolers are vicious. I don't know if you're aware of this fact. Uh, and, and they were none too kind about this. But at least I didn't have to pretend anymore. And I came to church even more. I found myself in here five days a week, six days a week. If it was unlocked, I was trying to be here. And I wish Pastor Eddie and, and Mary had been here today. They were instrumental in, in everything. Master, Pastor Mary always had a kind, loving word to tell me. And, and Jamie Bridges and, of course, Pastor and Teresa. I mean, everyone did what they could, but nobody knew what to do because nobody could have ever seen this coming. It was so out of left field, and I just kept believing, I just kept digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and things didn't get better, they got worse. He started stealing from us, he started going around, signing our names on things, stealing from my siblings who weren't even old enough to, to drive yet and then just keep spinning the lies, spinning the lies, and there were lines drawn. You could tell these were the people who believed Billy was innocent, and these were the people who didn't know what to think and were trying to stay out of it, and these were the people who were supporting us, and, and it became kind of this, this fight and, the, and this battle. 
and I'm going to try to wrap it up here, I'm sorry, but it, it was, I'm, I'm trying to give you some of the emotion uh, of this roller coaster because my life has been very much at a lot of ups and downs, but in the throes of it not making sense, I asked a very, very, very dangerous question that ultimately led me down to a very dark place, which was, why? God, why would a good, benevolent, just, loving God allow any of this to happen? What did I do? What did my mother do? Why did we deserve this? Why does anyone deserve the evil that is wrought upon them? And that question over several years ended up leading me down to bedrock atheism. I did not believe in so much as a force, let alone Jehovah Jireh, the living God, the one that is. I, I could not fathom there being a thing out there that loved me that would allow me to endure such suffering. And uh, I'm a pretty all or nothing type of guy, aren't I, Pastor? And when, uh, <laughs> when I decide to do something, I do it. So I changed my major, and I was going to major in philosophy, and, I, and my minor was in religious studies with an emphasis in Eastern traditions, and I was just all in. This God isn't the God. There's another answer out there, and I'm going to find it because that's what I do. I find answers. Well, I grew. I became less callous and less hateful, and, and, and I slowly let go, and I started to forgive, and, and I started to heal, and different things would happen, but I was still convinced. Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. Not really my concern. I'm just going to do the best that I can. If I live a moral life, if I live an ethical life, if I teach my children to do the same, I don't really need all this church stuff, Jesus stuff, God stuff. Because who cares if we're living as well, if not better, than those so-called churchgoers? Who cares? What does it matter? I mean, that's the point, right? I thought, I told myself, is being a good person. But when you're being a good person for all the wrong reasons, you're not really a good person. <laughs> it's really the same thing that my father had done. And when I had to square with that in the mirror, why are you being a good person if there's no reason, right, to, to impress people, to, to be able to say that you're better than he was, to, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And, uh, and this man, <laughs> I think gave uh, Job and, uh, uh, a run for his money with patience because he just would not give up. I, I, I mean, he wouldn't. Year after year, month after month, we'd bump into each other and there might have been six months here or maybe even a year here and there that we didn't get to see each other very much, but he kept eating that ice cream, thank goodness, and, <laughs> and, uh, and he kept bumping into me. And he didn't beat me over the head with it, mind you, when you come to church, when you come to church, when you come to church, because he knows. I mean, first off, I hope you all know that doesn't work, but it way doesn't work with me. And, uh, but I'd say, I don't know, once or twice a year, just be like, you know, we'd really love it if you could make it sometime. We really miss you. 
Les was just asking about you. He's leading up rangers now. I'm sure he could use the help. And, 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 and all the rest and, and all the growing. And, and Brooks is back now. Did you hear? Brooks is back in town. And uh, Tess is leading worship, and, and she's got a family now. And we came to Easter two years ago, right after Sylvie was born. And, and everybody was so welcoming, and it was so weird, it scared us off. I'm not, I'm not making, I, I, like, like, that's what happened. We, we hadn't experienced genuine kindness and welcomeness in so long that it was like, what do they want? What are they going to ask us for? What, where does this lead? And, uh, and so I told Pastor, thank you, but no thank you. I still love you. I hope you keep coming to the shop, but not right now. And, uh, and he took it in stride, and he kept coming, and then it was around a little, around Easter this year, a little before, it was a little before Easter this year, and we went and we had lunch, and I sat down, and it's like, I don't know what, and I'm, I was very honest, at that moment, I was still very, I think there's a God, but I don't know which God it is, and, and I think Jesus was pretty cool, but I don't know what I think about him. Is that all right if I come to church? Because I don't believe what I was taught growing up. I'm not saying I never will, but I don't, at least not right now. And again, I, honesty is just paramount to me. When you live as a liar your whole life because you're made to, I mean, I would rather you tell me I look fat to my face without me asking, and it be true than for you to say even the smallest white lie to me. And I would love you and respect you more. That's just my character, that's who I am. And so, I told him that, and he goes, I mean, churches, I mean, what, what, I don't remember exactly what you said, but we talked about how Jesus came to, to be with, with the broken and the sinners, and how he dined with prostitutes, and, and, and how the message is for everyone, right? Not for those who are already redeemed, obviously. And so I, I, I think since then, we've been here every week, save for, for two. I, I had a, a conference one time and something else. Uh, and my wife and children didn't start right away, but then slowly they started coming, and now half the time they're getting me out of bed, which is weird, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's amazing. And so I just want to say, <sighs> my point here is, A, things, don't always, things aren't always as they seem, right? You don't know what someone's struggling with. They may look completely put together. Their life may check all the boxes it may appear as though their family has it all put together and how are they so good and I'm struggling so much. I promise you, everyone has something. There's skeletons in everyone's closet and everyone has struggled and it has impacted them and theirs in ways that you probably can't even imagine. Two, to be careful of those who would use this message as a license or a justification for sin. That was the thing that my father always said and has said as recently as a month ago whenever he tries to reach out to reconnect and, and I make clear my position on the matter, which is that of real zealous repentance and, and change because words are pretty and fanciful and they're easy to compose and write, especially in the age of AI and everything else. Words are great, but actions, nobody can fake actions for long. Actions take work. Actions are hard. 
actions are a commitment and a string of actions turn into behaviors and behaviors turn into a lifestyle and a lifestyle turns into who you are, right? And so I just want to read a couple things. Uh, Pastor and I, when we were talking about this the other day, he actually referenced part of it here a second ago in Romans 6. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died in sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him and through baptism into death, so that unto Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin may be done away with so that we no longer be slaves to our sin. For those who has died is freed from sin. And now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So redemption and salvation is not a license to behave as, as we see fit or as we whim or, or decide. It is actually quite the opposite. It's a call to live as Christ lived. It's a call to say, I'm not the thief. I'm not the liar. I'm not the whatever sin. That's not who I am. I'm not bound to that fate. We don't have to walk around as a, a thief anymore with our hand cut off because we were found guilty and show the whole world I'm a thief. We don't have to walk around anymore with our tongue out because we slandered the wrong person and they took us before the constable and they took our tongue. We do not have to be bound to that fate. We, you, are worthy of salvation no matter what full stop. And that is the call. That is the call, that no matter how bad you messed it up, as recently as this morning, you can always live anew. You can always start over and be really committed to walking that path that he laid out for us, that perfect example that Christ made for us. And having the resources and the tools of this community, of this wise leader and all the other elders and leaders of the church, of having the word of God and the examples of saints to fall back on whenever we're struggling, to know that it can be done because it has been done and that you too can do it. I'm gonna close. Uh, uh, James 1.27 says, uh, pure and undefiled, uh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go with 26 first. Uh, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And finally, Proverbs, because being a father to the fatherless is the, the, the big crux, I guess, of, of my call here is you don't know how many children, how many young people are out there in a similar situation to what I had to grow up in and to what I had to live through. But if you suspect that it's there, be like these women, be like this man, be like those who took it upon themselves to parent those who were not getting parented or to parent those who were being parented maybe in, in not the best way. Um, I just love Proverbs, so I had to close with it. Uh, 
Open your, uh, I'm sorry. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and, and the needy. Another translation says of, uh, uh, of orphans and widows and, and different things. Basically, if you are in a good, good position, if, if you are walking that walk and, and you have most of your things put together and you have the ability, the time, the energy, the love, the money, be that person for that one who's struggling. Be that person for that defenseless one out there. Step up, please, and be mothers to the motherless and fathers to the fatherless. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. I, I'm so looking forward to this moment. And So God laid it upon my heart to continue getting ice cream. You all thought it was to get an ice cream named after me. No, that was not it. But the value, one soul. So it was a few months ago, and what's, what's even, you didn't tell this part, even while he was in his atheistic mode of every once in a while coming to church, he gave support business, from his business to support the tide of what we were doing downtown because it was something good. Even when he was still living in this thing of I don't know about a God. And then... Uh, not too long ago we, we were talking and, and Garner said there is not one ounce of me, not one portion of me that would ever feel that I would be drawn back to that belief and that lifestyle again. There's a God. And his son Jesus loves him. So Garner, you love Jesus with all your heart, don't you? Yes. Based upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we baptize you in the name of the Father, His Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's been a good day in the house of the Lord, hasn't it? Hell lost another one. Yes, he did. He's losing a generation, I'm telling you that. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. You guys are going to sing something? I think we ought to sing that song again. Hell lost another one. I am free. If you've got to go, we thank you for coming today. 6.30 Wednesday night, we'll be showing uh, Jonathan Khan, Return of the Gods. Next Sunday is Rosh Hashanah, beginning of a new year in, uh, by the Jewish calendar. And we've got some proclamations we're going to give you. You're going to enjoy next week. Anybody want to get baptized next week? Can I see any hands? Anybody? I'll do it. I'll do her. We'll get fresh water. It'll be warm. <laughs> Anybody? Here we go. Come on, put your hands together. Let's worship the Lord as you go. Amen.